0: Well, this morning, I'm going to share with you four truths from one verse and do it for one purpose. So, the four truths that I'm going to share with you this morning are truths that tell us about the goodness of God. So, four things, four phrases actually, that tell us about the goodness of God. And I'm going to get this not just out of my head and not out of a poetry book or anything. I'm going to get it from a verse in the Bible, one verse in the Bible that gives us these four phrases that tells us about the goodness of God. And the purpose for doing this is simply this, that we would be moved to worship Him really and truly. Our service this morning is going to culminate in the Lord's Supper. And as we prepare for that, really, I want to use my sermon as a means of, of reminding us of these four truths about God's, good, God's goodness, really to prepare us to worship the Lord in the way that He has appointed One of the struggles, one of the many struggles we face as Christians is not just knowing the truth but being appropriately affected by the truth. It's important to know what the Bible says for sure but it's also important to internalize it. Many of us recognize that certain doctrines are true and we perceive certainly to some degree that they're they're glorious and we know that they're essential. But sometimes we struggle to really be rightly impacted by those truths. Sometimes it seems like the longest distance in the world is the distance between our head and our heart to internalize that. For example, I mean, in our walk with God, think about our daily walk with God. Many of us know wonderfully, we know about the power of God, but we struggle so often to entrust to Him the troubles that are beyond us. Uh, similarly many of us know about the faithfulness of God like we know we confess that God is faithful but we struggle sometimes to count on him to do what he says he will do likewise we we know about the wisdom of God but we so often find ourselves leaning on our own understanding don't we instead of really in the tough times looking to God for his wisdom and letting him lead us through the deep waters but of course, I mean, just as we can, we can look at our walk with God and see there's sometimes a disconnect between what we know in our head and what we know in our heart. It's true in our walk, but it's, it's also true in our worship sometimes, isn't it? Uh, many of us uh, can, can uh, uh, identify with the, the sometimes a dullness of heart that's there, and we can be frustrated by that because we recognize we we know in our minds this is gloriously good news we're going to break bread together and and pass this cup around that reminds us of the good news about jesus but sometimes we're frustrated aren't we about how how dull we are sometimes in heart Uh, sometimes it seems like we've got to work at being thankful that we don't really exalt in the lord we don't have the sense of joy that we feel we ought to have God has shown us great kindness and we're sometimes frustrated by how lifeless and limp we are in our response to him well today I want to help you with that I don't come with some silver bullet or some some magic solution to our dullness of heart I come to you with what God supplies for us what God has ordained for us in our lives, a means of His grace, to move us, to, to move us in, in our affections for the Lord, and that is the preaching of His word. One of the reasons we preach from God's word is because uh, it is a means of God to not only teach us truths that we must know and we must know them, but also to affect us in our hearts. And I don't come to you this morning to preaching a sermon, you know, trying to conjure up emotions or, you know, I'm not going to dim the lights and have mood music or anything like that. What I'm going to do, though, is just we're going to look at a verse in the Bible together and I'm going to highlight for you four kindnesses, four ways in which we see the goodness of God. And we're going to trust the Lord together that as we look at his word, And as we reflect on this together, that He, by His Spirit, will work in our hearts, not necessarily to give us some ecstatic mountaintop experience, but to move us to really be grateful to the Lord, to give thanks to Him. And when we close the service with communion, that that as we partake of these emblems, that we will really worship the Lord from our hearts maybe won't be the best worship you feel like you've ever had but it'll be genuine it'll be real and you will be uh, encouraged for your week and equipped out of the overflow of your time with the lord this morning to minister to others so that's what we're after this morning and i can't i can't do that on my own but we can just just quietly pray lord would you come and do that this morning would you help us with that? Now, you might be wondering, well, what verse of the Bible are you going to go to here? This must be quite the verse, if you're going to move me at, at 11 o'clock on a weekend morning here. What, what verse have you got? I've got a verse that's a really familiar verse. A verse that, um, that, even if you're new to church, there's a good chance you've at least heard of it. For lots of you, you know it by heart. It's from the Gospel of John. John chapter 3 and verse 16. John 3 and verse 16 and if you would turn there with me, I would appreciate that. So you can see for yourself what the Word of God says. Then we'll study this verse together. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. John 3 and verse 16. And um, the, the context uh, for this verse is, um, well, it comes on the heels of a conversation. Uh, Jesus was speaking with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader who sought Jesus out under the cover of night. And he likely came to ask him questions, but it turned out it was Jesus who led the conversation. And uh, uh, in, in uh, the, the verse we're looking at, verse 16, the uh, immediate context, Jesus has just spoken about the, the, then his forthcoming death on the cross. So he, you know, this is just uh, some time before he died on the cross for sins and then was raised on the third day, of course. Um, But Jesus was pointing forward to it and made mention of it in verses 14 and 15. He talked about being lifted up. And we are mindful that first Easter, that that first Good Friday, that Jesus was lifted up on the cross where he, He died. And He talked about the purpose that He had in view for that. That when He was lifted up, that whoever believes in Him, He says in verse 15, may have eternal life. Now we'll say more about eternal life in a moment, but you see the context, he's just talked about the fact that he's going to die on the cross, and that there's a great glorious saving purpose in his death, that people like you and me could have life forevermore. And then verse, so the verse 16 comes along, and to be honest, we don't know for sure, for sure, if this was Jesus speaking or john the gospel writer summarizing so my bible's got the red letters so you can tell my translators they they think that it was jesus speaking but there's lots of students of the bible that say what well, well we don't know and you say well why why don't they know well the reason is is that sometimes it's really hard to tell when you're translating from the greek you see the, the greek in antiquity didn't have a punctuation like we have there weren't quotation marks So usually it's obvious where the quote ends and the comment continues, but it's not so obvious here. So it may have been Jesus. It may have been John. We're not clear. But what we are clear on is what this verse is telling us. Notice what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Who's His only Son? That's Jesus. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. Tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's Jesus, just like you said, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now I said a moment ago, there's four phrases here that tell us about the goodness of God the first phrase is, for God so loved the world. Nobody loves you like God loves you. Only God loves you so much. Think about it. Some of you have, are tremendously blessed because you've got people all around you that love you. Some of you maybe are in a point in life where you maybe you feel like you don't have many people around who love you. You could be on one end of the scale or the other or somewhere in between. And for some of you, it depends on the day. But I'm going to tell you something. Of all the people in the world who ever have, who ever will, who ever could love you, nobody loves you so much as God loves you. He loves you deeply, truly, sincerely. Make no mistake about it. You are immensely loved. Sometimes we close our services. I'll tell you, you are loved. and Just reminding you that there's a God in heaven who loves you. The love you have from God is greater than the love you'll find anywhere else. I mean, when you think of the relationships you have, whether it's a parent-child relationship, spouse, friend, uh, usually in these relationships, there's, there's often a factor um, outside of, outside of that, that person who loves you that initiated that, that, uh, that love. Think of your best friend. You know, I mean, you love them and they love you. Because, well, probably at some point in your life you met and whatever happened, you found out you had something in common and you were kind of nice to each other. And you thought, well, I kind of like that person. She was really friendly. And then you sort of, you both have an interest in sort of reconnecting again somehow. And, and you just sort of start spending more time together and sharing more of each other's life. And, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you look back and it's been 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And you're just like, that's just, that's just my, we're best friends. We, we're, we're closer than siblings. And some of you have a friend like that, but it started probably because there was some kind of mutual appreciation, and there was some back and forth if they treated you like a jerk, if they ignored you, if they paid no attention to you you'd never you'd never become friends, would you? But, but that, that's not what happened. There was a mutuality there. And it's oftentimes in our relationships with people, that's what there is. Even in a parent-child relationship, a parent loves their child, doesn't always approve of their child, but loves their child because they're, they're, they're their child. And it's just, that's who you are. And not that I don't love the other children in this church, but I really love my own children a lot. And you do yours and grandparents, Well, you guys are just off, off the meter in terms of love and, and all that kind of stuff. Oftentimes this love that we experience comes from, not from the person necessarily merely inside of their own heart, although some of it does. There's often a mutuality there. There's a reason that they're motivated to love you outside of themselves. But did you know, loved ones, that the love of God is different? God loves you, firstly, out of the perfections of his character of who he is. You say, that doesn't sound very romantic. Well, it's gloriously beautiful. Because what it means is this look at the verse again. For God so loved who? The world. Now, the world in the New Testament does not have little happy faces beside it in the margins. Okay? There's no pom poms and rah rah Jesus in the world the world in the new testament is opposed to god oftentimes most times when the bible talks about the world it's talking about people who are indifferent to god people who rebel against god people who are they may if they're not indifferent to god they are uh, they, they are uh, they don't want anything to do with god the world is is uh, those who are hostile to God in the New Testament, doing their own thing, disobedient, defiant. And uh, uh, the reality is, is that every single one of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian today, you're believing on Jesus, the Bible tells us that at one time, you were the world. You say, really? Yeah, really. Jesus says this, John fifteen nineteen. he says this to his disciples. He says, I chose you out of where? The world. Oh, we were there, we were that group. You were indifferent, disobedient, defiant toward God. That's why John says in 1 John 4, he says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave His Son to save us. Well, see what John is saying, what we're reminded of here, even in this verse here, God so loved the world, is that God's love for you comes from the the perfections of His character. The Bible tells us that God is love. And the reason that there is salvation, the reason that Jesus came into the world, the reason that there is hope for you and me, it comes from, it's motivated by, it originates out of the love of God toward you when you did not love Him. We know what it is to be loved by people where there's mutuality, and that's a beautiful thing, and that is a gift from God. But what the Lord reminds us of here in this verse is that His love is different. God so loved the world, only God loves you this much. It may be helpful, just as an aside, to, uh, just for clarity, if this sheds a little bit of light, to realize that the Bible talks about God's love in different ways. There's, there's at least five different ways that the Bible talks about God's love. Now I'm going to just, we're going to go through this real quick, and, and uh, so don't, we're just going to, just come on out in the deep end with me, okay? Everybody got your water wings on, your life jacket, and a little rubber dinghy maybe? Well, let's go out to the deep end here, because I want to just give you a little broader perspective here. Five different ways the Bible talks about God's love. Firstly, there's Trinitarian love. He's like, whoa, we are in the deep end, it's, it's not even noon yet, Roth. Trinitarian love. All I mean by this is the love that God has always had and always shown within the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God who has ex- existed forever in three persons. There has ever and always been love within the Godhead. Think of the time when Jesus was baptized. And there's a voice came from heaven and it said this This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There is a love that God has always had between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That some, sometimes the love of God we see is this Trinitarian love. The second kind of love, we call it providential love. Providential love. This is God's love as creator. In case you hear people say, well, God loves everybody, right? God loves all the people, all that He's made, He loves. And that's true. He does. That's biblical, in fact. In fact, Jesus says, Matthew 5 and 45, Jesus says that God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust, right? So it's, it's, not, just, right? it's not just the Christians that have a nice, a nice beautiful fall day to enjoy. It's, it's, everybody has this beautiful fall day to enjoy. Well, if they live here, I don't know about the Antarctic. I don't think it's very beautiful there. But you get the idea. This is providential love. God is, he shows goodness and kindness to everybody. In many ways. Third kind of love. I just call it God's yearning love. His yearning love. The yearning love that he has. Toward those he longs for. Those who have sinned against him. Yearning love is what we see here in John 3.16. God so loved the world it's his stance it's the his demeanor toward even rebels where he will, is willing to welcome willing to save willing to forgive and we read about that often in scripture about the love of God toward uh, toward sinners God takes no delight in the perishing of people the fourth kind is God's covenant love Lots of you here know personally about the covenant love of God. It's the love of, of belonging that you have when you belong to him. He loves you. Think about this. Uh, uh, Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. He loves his people. God loves his people in a special way. In a way that is different from the way that he loves the world. There's a steadfastness to that love. There's a savingness to that love. There's a, you will always know and experience my love in his covenant love. And if you are in Jesus Christ and you have this love in your life, in fact, the Holy Spirit, one of his many ministries in your life, in Romans 5, it says that he pours out God's love into your heart so that you know this and perhaps even right now reminding you of this. So Trinitarian love, providential love, yearning love, covenant love, fifthly, relational love. I was going to call this conditional love, and I would have been right, but I didn't want to confuse you. So I call it relational love. By this I mean the kind of love that you experience from God when you're walking in obedience to him. For example, Jesus says in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you will obey me. There's a love relationship that's there. And that when we love the Lord, we we want to please Him. We want to walk with Him. And we experience His pleasure as we do so. doesn't mean life is rosy and perfect, but it means even in the dark times, even in the hard times, I live my life experiencing the love of God in different ways. Jude tells us, Jude 21, he tells us this, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now sometimes, some of you have read that before and you're just like, I don't like how that verse sounds. It almost sounds like if I screw up somehow, God is going to quit loving me and it's going to be over. That's not what Jude means. He's not talking about keeping yourself in a saving love, a covenant love relationship with God. He's talking about keeping yourself in a relational love relationship with God where you are experiencing his pleasure because you're walking in obedience to him. Some of you know what it's like to experience God's displeasure, don't you? Anybody here who's followed Jesus for any length of time, we can all tell you there have been times when we've experienced God's discipline. And sometimes it's as simple and as devastating as knowing that we've grieved him because of things we've said or things that we've done or places that we've gone. Um, uh, here's Somebody said this, they said, you can't sin so bad that God won't still save you, but you can sin so bad that you'll wish you hadn't sinned. That's, that's so true. That's God's discipline. You know, when you sin so bad, you're like, I so wish, I so wish I hadn't done that. That's God's discipline. It doesn't mean God stopped loving you, but you, you haven't, you're not experiencing the goodness of his pleasure, of his love, because you sinned against him, and, and now there's discipline coming to correct you, to get you back on path. you see these different kinds of love? I share this with you because I think it's so important for you to to see this. Because sometimes we read a verse like John 3.16 and we say, well, in the first phrase it says God so loved the world. But then in a few phrases later we read about perishing. And we're reminded of God's judgment. And we get confused about how can God love and then judge? How can hell be in the picture with a God who loves? Well, we recognize that the Bible speaks of God's love in different ways. And remember that just as much as God is, is loving, God is also holy. And it's, out of, it's in, because of his holiness that he calls sinners to account. But he loves them still. And he loves you. And if you've got a pulse today, if you can hear me today, even if you can't hear me, but you can you can hear in a way or read the Word of God. You, there is a God who loves you and is inclined toward you. That third kind of love, that yearning love that we see here in John 3 and 16. He is a holy God and He is just. He will judge sin. But today, right now, there is a God who loves you with a longing, with a yearning, with a come to me. Don't Don't stay away from me. Don't wander from me. Come to me. Be healed. Be cleansed. Be forgiven. Have life. This is what john three sixteen is telling us that god so loved the world and when you come to know him when you respond in faith to his yearning love you enter into his covenant love which will never be broken no matter what may come your way that's why i say only god loves you so much only god does and he does brother sister listen to ephesians again wasn't it great here in the book of ephesians last week just a pause for my sermon just for a moment and just say what a powerful example that we had from if you missed church last week you i don't know what you were doing but you really blew it okay if you're at work we maybe will give you a pass maybe but you know uh, uh, doug sargent i call him pastor doug sargent he's been a pastor for many years he recited to us the entire book of Ephesians last week. And some of you are just like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was the book of Ephesians. He recited the whole book of Ephesians. And I just think, just what a powerful example for us about the wonder of being able to memorize, the importance of memorizing Scripture, and the power of being able to recite it. Think about the ministry you can have to somebody when they are sick, when they're dying, when they're grieving, when you can look them in the eye and speak to them the word of God. There's just something that, that is, when you get scripture memorized, you don't need to memorize the whole book of Ephesians. But what Pastor Doug has shown us is that you can memorize. Okay? Doug is not as young as he used to be. Right, Doug? So, you can do it. Okay. Okay, back on my sermon now. Ephesians 2 we heard last week says this, we once walked following the course of this world. That was you and me. In the passions of our flesh, so we were happy where we were. Don't give me this gospel stuff. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. I'm fine, thank you. Carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. Thing is, we didn't know that. Or we refused to acknowledge it. But we were facing God's judgment. Just like the rest of mankind. But then, but God, being rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Many of you know that love. The love of God that came to you, that yearning love that's become covenant love where you you knew about the love of God and you've experienced now because he's brought you from death into life. And you now walk in this loving relationship with God. Nobody loves you like God does, does he? So that's the first phrase. For God so loved the world. Only God loves you so much. Second phrase. That he gave his only son. Only God gives you so much. Only God gives you so much. What has he given you? He's given you Jesus. Paul describes him in Second Corinthians 9 verse 5 as the indescribable gift. Now that's a great verse for Christmas time, reminding us about Jesus coming into the world. And Paul calls Jesus that indescribable gift. That indescribable gift, it's a gift that's so good you can't, you can't explain it, you can't describe it. And some of you have a, a gift maybe that's really, somebody gave you something, maybe a, a loved one, maybe a parent or a grandparent. Something that, you know, I mean it doesn't really mean a whole lot to anybody else, but it means everything to you. It's so special to you. And you, you know, you, somebody asks you, you know, what's it worth to you? And you're just like, it, It's priceless. Well, Paul's like, that's what Jesus is like. He's this indescribable gift, so great, so wonderful. He's he's a treasure to us. And when you think about what the Bible tells us that God has done for us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, gave him to do what? To rescue a rebel. He gave me Jesus to, to rescue me, to, to bring me into uh, His presence, to bring me into a, a saving relationship with Him. He is, a, he is the indescribable gift. Only God gives you so much. He, only God loves you so much, but only God gives you so much when He gives you uh, Jesus. He did not hold back His Son, but He gave His Son. That's what Paul means in Romans 8 and 32. He says, God, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know what that verse is talking about? Duck Talk with this. God's got great promises for you for a glorious future if you're in Jesus, including uh, the resurrection from the dead. This body that's going to break down and wear out. He's going to give you a new body fit for eternity. You're going to be with him in his presence in glory forever and ever. He's got promises for you. You and I, are problem sometimes is we doubt the promises of God. And we wonder, is God really going to do this? Can I really count on God coming through in his promises? And what Paul says is this. He says, think about this. Think about this. God did not spare his own son to save you. He's given you already the great treasure. So the rest of it is just icing on the cake. If he's given you Jesus, and you know that he has, then all the rest of his promises are yes and amen. That's the idea here. What's Paul saying? Romans 8, he's saying the same thing we're seeing here in John 3, that Jesus is the great treasure, the great gift. Only God gives you so much when he gives you Jesus. Jesus. Do you you see Jesus this morning as your great treasure? Do you perceive even, even to some degree that he's precious? That there's nothing else you could ever have or gain or experience that's worth more than him? God gave him to you. He gave his only son. Only God gives you so much. That's the second phrase. So just to review, right? God so loved the world. God only loves you so much. That he gave his only son, God only gives you so much. Now the third phrase comes right after this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. Here's the third thing. Whoever believes in him, only God welcomes you so much. Only God welcomes you so much. I'm I'm honing in on that phrase: whoever believes. Honing in on the word. Whoever, anybody, even you, even me, even that person, you think through your life, you think, who's the last person in my life that I ever would imagine becoming a follower of Jesus? Even them. Whoever believes, notice the wideness of the invitation. Notice the breadth of the welcome whoever some come here today thinking well surely it's too late for me some come today thinking well surely i'm too far gone some quietly think to themselves well there's hope for others but i doubt there's hope for me Uh, this text is very clear whoever whoever believes in him no matter who you are no matter where you've been no matter what you've done You have a standing offer as of today, as of this moment, that whoever, even you, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish. There is judgment to come, and it's very serious, but it's totally avoidable, even for you. Whoever believes in him, There's a wideness to the welcome here. Only God welcomes you so much. But also, as I think through the Bible, I think there's also a wonder to the welcome here about what it is that we have when we're welcomed in the Lord. I mean, think about it. He gives me the forgiveness of sins, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwells me as his child. I have fellowship with him. I've got a ministry. I've got a purpose in living. I've got a home in heaven that's guarded for me. I'm. I, I. am. The welcome is wonderful. The word, though, especially I wanted to highlight for you, is a word that Paul uses, and we heard it last week in Ephesians. By the way, isn't it great to memorize scripture? Oh, I did that already, didn't I? Remember Ephesians 1, the very beginning of that book, In Ephesians 1, uh, Doug reminded us of what Paul says in Ephesians 1. I want to read it to you. He says, you say, well, Pastor, you should have it memorized. Get off my back, okay? (laughs) Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for, here's the word, what's the word? He predestined us for adoption. Adoption. It's like Paul was saying, do you have any idea, dear Christian, how blessed you are? <laughs> Before you were even you, this great God set his love upon you. And he has so worked providentially in your life that you now trust in him and he's welcomed you into his forever family. He's, he's, he's made you his own, and he goes on to talk about his blessings. He's like, how shall I describe this to you? I mean you are he is infinite, you are finite, how should I put this into I know Adoption. You know about adoption, don't you? God adopted you some of you here in this room are adopted and you have a high definition perspective on the glory and the beauty of what it is to be welcomed by God i am sure that for those of you who are adopted there are nuances to your experience that are that are hard for any of us really to understand And maybe because of where you came from, there was questions about that. And there's maybe been struggle working through that. I I acknowledge that this morning. But when you stand back and think about what it is that happened when you were adopted, or with somebody that you know has adopted somebody, think about what's happening there. Somebody who has nothing to do with us. Somebody who has, doesn't bear our name, has no claim on anything in the family, has no relation, what is happening here is we are taking you and we're not only welcoming you here into our house like a guest, we're welcoming you into our family as a member. And you are now my son, you are my daughter. These are your siblings. Your name is in the will. You're now part of the family. You bear our name. That's what it is to be a Christian. He is our Father. Here are your siblings. Your name is in the will. All, of the, all that God has for you. Jesus says that you will inherit the earth. Why? Because the earth, the earth is His and you'll inherit it. All of his promises are for you because you're adopted that's why the glory of what John says in John one that we are given the right to be called children of God we're his we're we're not we're not sort of you know living in the bunkie for the summer we're in the home we're at the table we we don't have to wait for an invitation we we belong here it's glorious and I just think that if you're adopted here you you get this in the way that others of us we marvel at it we're like that's beautiful, but you know this. And for those of you who are in Christ, I just want to highlight for you, you know what adoption is too. Because you've been adopted. And that's what I think of when I read John three sixteen here this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. The, the welcome is wide, but I'm also just mindful the welcome is wonderful of what we have. Only God welcomes you so much. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Fourthly, but have eternal life. Only God loves you so much. Only God gives you so much. Only God welcomes you so much. And when you think of eternal life, you just got to say, only God blesses you so much. He blesses you with the greatest thing that could ever be given Jesus, his son who secures for us eternal life. Perhaps in your life, you've caught some lucky breaks. You've had good fortune fall your way and you might call it being blessed because you acknowledge as a Christian should that every good gift comes from our father in heaven. But what we're reminded of here when we read John three sixteen, is that God gives to us the great blessing of all blessings, the blessing of eternal life. Some of your Bibles say everlasting life. There's nothing like the blessing of knowing Jesus who gives to us eternal life. This means, in part, life forever, life that lasts forever. Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and whoever lives and believes in me will never perish hear what Jesus says he's not saying you won't die because in fact he says that you likely will sorry he says that whoever believes in me though he die where did Jesus say these words does anybody remember you have read John 11 where was he He's where my family was just over a week ago at the cemetery, at a grave. And with all the mourners around, he says, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, like his friend Lazarus had died, though he die, whoever lives and believes in me, yet though they shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What is Jesus saying? He's saying you may die. But you won't ever really truly die. Your body may go into the ground, but when to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he's mindfully, he reminds us of the fact that even though we die, death, the grave, death in the grave does not have the final say. Walking through the cemetery recently, and I was just, just there yesterday, walking through the cemetery, I, it it almost, it almost never escapes me to think about this. Looking through the cemetery, I'll just say to the Lord, Lord, it seems so hard to fathom. It seems so hard to fathom. Like they are dead. They are deep down in that ground. But Jesus, you said, you say, yet they shall live. <laughs> and it's a test of faith sometimes, loved ones that believe in the promises of God and the power of God. To recognize the blessing that we have from him. That only God blesses us so much to give to us eternal life, and the Bible tells us that there's coming a day that when you were when you were dead and buried, your body may go in the ground or into the urn on the mantel place, wherever it's going. I don't know. Maybe it would be spread all over your favorite lake. I have no idea. But when your body is, 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 uh, is done, uh, if you are a believer, you go to be with Jesus. That's what Paul tells us. That's what Jesus tells us. Paul says, uh, Paul talked about being absent from here is being with the Lord. But there's coming a day when there will be a resurrection. And that body that maybe, I don't know, if you got heart trouble, if you got brain trouble, if you got cancer trouble, I don't know what you got. But if you got a body, you got trouble but there's coming a day the bible says when the when the when the lord returns that you will be raised up from the dead and he will give to you a new body fit for eternity so whatever heart troubles you got you won't have those anymore you got aches and pains you got you got replacement joints and parts like that you're going to get a total overhaul cancer will never touch you again ever you will not need any prescriptions for anything ever and what's more is that you will be with the Lord and you will experience life the way he always intended it to be this is what it is to have eternal life in part you say in part Well, what's, <laughs> what else is there well the, the rest of it is what Jesus says it is John 17 Jesus said this he said this is eternal life he was praying he said this is eternal life that they know you the only God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent it's having all that God promises to us and having the best thing yet still and that's God himself knowing him being with Jesus forever Uh, two weeks ago this Sunday um, I was here for church and um, preached we did our thing we loaded up and got in the car and I got a phone call from the doctor who was uh, attending to my father. And um, she was uh, filling me in on everything that wasn't working. They had tried this test, they tried that test, they tried this, they tried that. And she asked me a question that struck me kind of funny. She said to me, Mr. Kearney, what do you want to do? I say it struck me funny, not because I was laughing, but because I understood the question. <laughs> but there's a part of me that thought, I just, just in a flash for a moment, I thought to myself, what do I want to do? <laughs> well, I couldn't even handle the periodic table of elements in chemistry in grade 11. I've never been to medical school. I don't know what to do. I'm so limited in my knowledge what to do. You're a doctor. You've you told me all the specialists, everything they're saying, and now you're asking me, me what to do. I teach the Bible. I don't know what to do. But of course, I understood what she was saying. She was indicating there's nothing more we can do. So, what measures will we take now with your dad? And so I said, well, we need to keep him comfortable as per his wishes. And the next morning, quarter after 11 or so, I was grateful to be able to be there and holding his hand and he breathed his last. Thinking about this and this note of God blessing you, only God blesses you so much. I am keenly, keenly aware that of all the skillful, knowledgeable people in our lives, there's only so much we can do. My dad had tremendous care. He has had significantly complicated health issues. And there are men and women in medicine who have done wonders to give him a good life to keep him going i used to tease him morbidly tease him sometimes i'd say dad it's too bad the government does have some kind of point system connected to your health card like we'd be on vacation together somewhere and uh, he saw he had a great sense of area he he saw that that humor he had all kinds of interventions and things. but at the end of the day there's a doctor asking me what do you want to do I'm just mindful of the fact that of all the most skillful knowledgeable people you will ever encounter there's only so much that anybody can do for you and of all the loving well-intentioned people in your life there's only so much they can give you but when it comes to God and the goodness of God and the glory of Jesus Christ there's no limit to what he can give to you he can give to you he can give to you all things through Christ he gives you life life now and with him in relation with him and life forever victory over the grave the glory of himself and you name the treasure you name the pleasure in him he can afford it to you this is I think what I'm mindful of as I think of this blessing will not perish but have eternal life he can give to me even that which no one else can give to me life that lasts forever, and He can give it to you too. This is, loved ones, the goodness, the goodness of God. Do you see how good He is to you? God so loved the world, only God loves you so much, that He gave His only Son. Only God gives you so much, that whoever, whoever believes in Him will not perish. Only God welcomes you so much. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Only God blesses you so much.